politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, scorned and forgotten taxpayers and future revolutionaries to the one and only CR podcast here at Blaze TV. December 1st, the final frontier in this wretched year. God, may may all its curses go out December 31st and may we have a new year that is built upon freedom, safety and security, ordered liberty. Look, it's a very busy week. Obviously, I've been all over the place. I have a very extensive analysis on the COVID deaths we talked about yesterday, very extensive analysis about voting irregularities in Pennsylvania. I have another analysis out today about the legalities of the mail-in ballots in totality in Pennsylvania. We have all the crime stories I want to get to today. So much going on. Again, you can follow me at Blaze. TheBlaze.com, you could just click on my articles or Google my name and you could see the chronology of all them. You could follow me at RM Conservative on Twitter. We have our Facebook fan page, which is Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary and Miniman Speak Easy for the private page. I got a lot of your emails, a lot of very important emails, a couple of which I want to get to today. But we're going to continue to go through the three big frauds of our time, the election fraud, the COVID fraud, and the criminal fraud, the fraud of jailbreak, of criminal justice deform, of them criminalizing Americans for living and breathing, while at the same time releasing the most violent gun felons, drug felons, uh, robbers, murderers even, and of course calling them low-level nonviolent offenders. So we definitely have a lot to get to. And then also there's the issue of Where do we go from here? I mean, really, folks, where do we go? Where do we move to? Now, Florida is looking increasingly like that place. Ron DeSantis, the governor, was terrific yesterday, came out and said closing schools was the greatest mistake in history, said we're absolutely not doing any lockdowns here, any fining of people, the mask mandates. Um, look, my understanding is there still are some problems in some counties with businesses and everything, the culture of masks, but it looks like he's really done a lot from the governor's position to push back against this, and he's getting better over time. But folks, we have a major issue on crime. Every time I look at this issue, it's even worse than I think. We are basically not locking up anyone anymore, and I mean, like, really, Most crime is committed by people that are out on bail with a rap sheet yay long and their trial is years away. And in the meantime, they're out and they commit murders. When you look at the skyrocketing murder rate and and, and the reason why it's important to put that in context is because we've gone through years worth of record low homicides. So, So to get to this point so quickly is very disturbing. The reason is because it's the same repeat violent offenders that we used to lock up that are not being locked up. So we're going to go through some of that. But folks, one thing you can do while you still have that freedom is arm yourself. The pending results of the election is already causing a spike in gun sales, ammo sales. Very hard to get ammo that's affordable. But one thing that is affordable and is absolutely indispensable to your self-defense is a We the People holster. 
If you're making a purchase for a firearm, you need a holster. No matter how you carry, whether it's in your home and certainly, obviously, on the street, you got to have a quality holster. Unlike other uh, you know, guns, gun apparel, ammo, which is just up 300%, here you could get at just starting at $40. A We The People custom designed holster to fit your firearm perfectly, made right here in the USA. They pretty much have options for any common or something really uncommon gun, right-handed, left-handed on the market. Their propriety clip design allows for you to easily adjust both the cant and ride um, so it really fits snugly and comfortably. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com forward slash CR to get yours today. Every holster ships free and comes with a lifetime guarantee. But when you put in offer code CR, you get an additional $10 off. Again, that is wethepeopleholsters.com forward slash CR. Now, you're really going to need that holster because nobody is locked up. I want to share with you two stories today about just to give a sense of what is going on in places like Chicago and Minneapolis. So we have the BLM movement and really all the politicians, including Republicans, that it's all about how much you can care about what they call people of color. I mean, that's not my term. I thought we were done with that like colored people term in the 50s and 60s, but it seems to have made a comeback, which is pretty bizarre. You know, it's not about governing for the whole of the people, universal values, um, universal responsibility of government, but universal rights. No, it's about, you know, everything's about how certain things play out with certain people. But what's bizarre is what we said is if you actually want to look at disparate impact, it is all really blacks that are suffering from this crime wave. I mean, it's spilling over into the suburbs a lot, but in terms of the murders, it's definitely almost all blacks. So you have all these people that enjoyed their Thanksgiving week off, but in every major city, a holiday weekend or holiday week is actually usually even worse, and it's a shooting gallery. So Jessica Beale and her brother, Damien Beale, are two more black lives that certainly don't matter. No one will ever hear of them. But they are victims of criminal justice deform, the BLM agenda, abolish police, abolish the prisons, abolish sentencing, dismantle every ability to prosecute and lock up criminals. Except, of course, if you're not wearing a mask. So, basically, and, and there's a lot of very important points I want to make here in this particular story and then the one out of Minneapolis. This one was in Chicago. It was all over the news there on November 27th. They put out an Amber Alert, Chicago PD, after a one-year-old, Camarion Hebron, was abducted. And he was abducted at a house that where, where there was just a murder committed um, that wound up being Jessica Beale and Damien Beale, her brother. And right away, they believe that the father, Clarence Hebron, took the baby originally, then somehow had the baby dropped off at a police station and as of today, he was still at large. So is the father, who I guess was the ex-husband, I'm assuming, of Jessica Beale, unless they were still married, um, but just separated, went in and for whatever reason killed his ex-wife and her brother and took the baby, then dropped the baby off. Now, you'd be like, okay, so this is a tragic 
domestic violence type of situation. And unfortunately, that does happen a lot. But as always, there's more to the story. Okay? There's always more to the story. So our buddies at CWB Chicago, very good website, one of the few I know that really monitor crime in their area of operation, and they do a great job in Chicago, finding these repeat offenders, shaming these judges who let them out. And they noticed, wait a minute, the picture the police sent out of this guy who's a fugitive now, it's the same as a mugshot just from April 2019. And in April 2019, he was arrested for killing a woman with his car. You know, he ran, ran her over while fleeing police and for two separate Class 10 felony armed habitual criminal gun crimes. And it turns out that basically the story is this. The guy originally had two gun felonies. And of course, he wasn't, you know, he was released after both of them without posting any bail, as is always the case. Then, finally, when he was arrested after it resulted in a homicide, so the judge held him without bail. But then, in July of this year, so just a couple months ago, it turns out that he was let go by Cook County Judge Dennis Porter on just 50000 bond for each offense. So I guess the vehicular homicide and then the two gun charges that were pending... So it's 150000 So he was able to be released after post, posting just 10%, which is $15,000. $15,000, and he was out in the streets. This is the story of all of these people. That is the rap sheet they all have, drugs, firearms. And then even they do something more serious, they still get let out. Almost every murder, if, you're, if you want to know why murder is increasing, a lot of people will say, well, the war on the cops, the cops are standing back. That to an extent, but a big part of it is the is the prison stuff. It's these type of guys used to be held and they're not being held. And they are the very profile of the people who go on to commit murder. But at the same time, they're the profile of what these judges call nonviolent, low level offenders. First time, even though they're not first time. So that's a very Important point. Very important point. Now, I don't know if this was COVID related. It really makes you wonder because there's been a lot of this. It was in July. It was random. It was like a year later. Why would that have happened then? I wasn't able to find that, so I can't report that that's the case. It could just be they're always letting people go even without COVID, which is true. But there is a lot of this going on, and I, and I I've said this many times that I I forgot where the jailbreak stands at the number of people let out of prison and jail. It's over a hundred thousand, but there's hundreds of thousands who were not initially locked up because of COVID, and there's no way to even quantify that. All the leniencies where they're not even initially holding people. It's not a matter of release. They're not initially locked up because well we can't add to the jail population with COVID. That's the issue there. So um, there's also another interesting thing too, which is notice this guy was the father of this kid. 
Now, one of the big arguments that's being made against incarceration is, well, you know, we're taking the fathers out of the home. That's why there's so much violence. When, of course, it's the car before the horse, the violence was precipitated long before, which is actually what caused us to start clamping down on crime in the 90s. Um, so, you know, there's a history before it's not like, oh, everything was fine until we just started to grab fathers and arrest them for no good reason. And then now they have problems. That's not what it is. But moreover, they always try to say that, you know, this is bad for kids. And what I've always said, it's the opposite. When you take out a bad older brother or a bad father from the home that's irremediably broken, like this guy clearly was, that is better because when you don't let them out, guess what? Well, now this one-year-old kid doesn't have a mother. And that's the story. My buddy Raphael Manuel wrote an article a while ago where he quoted from a working paper from researchers at University of Chicago and UC Berkeley as well as um, University of Southern Cal where they actually wrote, quote, contrary to conventional wisdom, parental incarceration has beneficial effects on children, reducing their likelihood of incarceration by 4.9 percentage points and improving their adult socioeconomic status. Sibling incarceration leads to similar reductions in criminal activity. Um... And basically, they studied a sample of children with parents on the margins of incarceration. And they measured not only the life outcome differences between the children with incarcerated parents or siblings and those without, but also the portion of those differences attributable to the incarcerations. It's a very fascinating study. And I just, this case really reminded me of it because like, well, you know, it's bad for the kid if the father gets locked up. One of the many arguments given for a jailbreak. Well, not if he goes on to kill the mother. And then, of course, we turn to St. Paul. Where, basically, the only crime left is not wearing a mask or gathering for a Thanksgiving or Christmas meal. There was a murder that occurred, this random woman... And Marie Wagner lived in North, um, or she lived in St. Paul. And it's tragic because they report that she had just gotten a concealed carry permit, quote, because the area where she lived wasn't safe. Isn't that sad? Well, often guns work for people. In this case, it didn't. Um, she was shot to death six times on September 3rd. And the gun was stolen from her waistband. It's not clear how, you know, how exactly that happened. Did she ever get a chance to fire a gun or whatever or not? But that's a different story. Anyway, it was unsolved. But two and a half months later, because of informants, eyewitnesses, investigators were able to find and arrest who they think is the murderer, Antonio Lorenzo Powell, 34 years old. And they believe he had been part of a shooting just seven hours prior to that murder in North Minneapolis. Because they later discovered shell casings from the gun used in the murder. Now, this woman died and wound up getting herself a gun because she didn't feel safe. Well, you know why she didn't feel safe? Because the person that eventually got her, people like that, aren't behind bars. Turns out Powell was wearing an ankle bracelet, which, as you know, is a dead giveaway that he was on parole. And which is partially how they found him and placed him at the scene of the crime at the time. 
But as I've noted for years, the ankle bracelets do not work. Because typically, the people on the ankle bracelets are the very violent criminals that they release on parole but want to basically convince the public that they're doing something to monitor them, so they put on ankle bracelets. Ankle bracelets might be good retrospectively as investigative tools to catch the guy after he murdered the person. Doesn't help prospectively to prevent the murder. They're not deterred by them. Turns out he had, according to Twin Cities Pioneer Press, quote, an extensive criminal record in Minnesota that includes convictions for, you guessed it, firearms, assault, controlled substances, drunken driving, and other offenses. This is happening everywhere. Nobody is locked up anymore. Nobody is locked up. And then we have the stories with illegal aliens. There was this double homicide Double homicide in California, committed by a criminal alien, deported a number of times. This is from Breitbart News. An illegal alien previously deported three times and with a violent criminal record has been charged with a double murder after allegedly going on a stabbing spree at San Ho- at a San Jose Baptist church. See, it's funny. You know, every church or school shooting we'd hear about, this one you're not going to hear about in the news. Um, A, because it was a stabbing, and B, it was an illegal alien. Again, it shows you it's not a gun issue. It's a violent criminal issue. In this case, importing other countries' criminals. Illegal alien Fernando de Jesus Lopez Garcia was arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder, three counts of attempted murder, battery, and protective order violation after he allegedly stabbed five people inside Grace Baptist Church, killing two of them. And basically, ICE confirmed that Garcia is an illegal alien with a violent criminal record. He's already been deported three times. But the deal is that California thwarts federal law. Okay? So, even if we deport someone, I've always said it's a symbiotic relationship between interior enforcement because if you deport them, but they have places to go to where they could live, steal identity, work, and do stuff, they're going to keep coming back. Again, another preventable murder, double homicide. And again, this is just where we were able to find out. Breitbart did good work. Others, I, I'm a little bit off that beat just because I'm so into knee-deep in many other issues. But many, many homicides that are committed on a daily basis are from people that shouldn't be in the country. Again, there's increased homicide across the board. But this is where we are. This is where we are. Because the only crime you could ever commit is not wearing a mask. You know, folks, yesterday, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the Mayo Clinic put out a study showing that masks work. And of course, everyone, you know, all these headlines, masks work. No, Not questioning, even digging into the study. Everything we put out, they fact check and say, oh, it's wrong. But you're able to just say masks work and it doesn't get fact checked or questioned. They literally did it on mannequins, the blowing particles through mannequins. That was their study. Okay, so we have a randomized controlled trial of 6,000 people in Denmark. Showed no statistical significance in many ways in the groups and subgroups they had. 
but they have mannequins and they say, oh, it works. This is what we have as the Mayo Clinic, as the most prestigious institutions. This is what a religion it has become. It's just sick. Totally sick. But we have nobody to push back. Now, there's another study I want to, not a study, an article about criminals and masks. So this is the funniest thing. PG Media put this out November 24th. Criminals are just better than the rest of us. While more people than ever are eschewing masks and defying other COVID-19 dictas uh, from California Governor Newsom, criminals seem to be leading the way in compliance. This is very important. A stunning increase in the number of crimes committed in LA shows criminals of every variety are just doing their coronavirus duty by wearing masks while they knock over the local 7-Eleven or perform strong-arm robberies. USC's Crosstown Initiative reports that crimes involving criminals who are wearing masks have shot up like a bolt of lightning up nearly 500% between January and October. From January 1st to October 31st, there were 1164 criminal incidents in which a suspect was wearing a mask, according to the LA Police Department data. During the same time period last year, there were just 200 reports. So folks, think about this. Think about this. This is how much of a religion mask wearing has become that we have telegraphed the message that you will get in trouble, not for murder, as we read from our stories. You'll be let out. No bail. You'll be let out precisely because of this very virus. But the only thing that you will be punished for is not wearing a mask. You could not have written an Orwellian story with that plot line. But that is the society we now live in. Truly, truly sick times. Now, speaking of mass, this is the question I keep asking. Where do you and I go? I live in Maryland. So we're surrounded by the Northeast, blue areas. Maryland's very blue. Where do I go for freedom? Well, the obvious choice, you'd say, well, you know, if I travel just an hour and a half away... I'm in the West Virginia panhandle. Isn't that pretty red? I mean, West Virginia is a state where Republicans have, I don't know, what is it, like three to one majorities in both houses of the legislature? Trump carried both times every single county. Maybe I'll go there for freedom. But no, we can't have nice things. Folks, I want you to take a listen to this Governor Jim Injustice, a.k.a. Justice, the governor who's allegedly switched from Democrat to Republican. I want you to listen to him talk about masks and you tell me if this is any different than Gavin Newsom or Andrew Cuomo. Take a listen. If we do all in us and it's all we possibly can do and it only helps one person, one death, Isn't that enough? For all those that don't believe in the mask and don't believe that it matters and everything else, which is not true, but if for all those that don't believe, what can it hurt? What can it hurt? An inconvenience? You may say, well, you know, we put that mask on and we don't wash it and we put it back on and we don't wash it. 
Well, yeah, I mean, my gosh, you gotta, you gotta wash. You gotta, you gotta wash your hands. You gotta stay socially distanced. Come on, that doesn't count. Well, I can't breathe very well in wearing that mask. Well, if you can't breathe, we have made exceptions for that all along, have we not? Folks, first of all, he sounds insane. If it could just save one person, what are you talking about? You're killing so many people with drugs and suicide. Millions of years of life lost to children. Save one life. What does that mean? Now, implicit in what he's saying. So now it's like it went from being a vaccine to, well, even even a little bit. Well, what does it harm? Well, what does it harm to have children breathe through a mask for seven hours a day? What does it harm never to see humanity and facial recognition and development of children? Oh, if you can't breathe, then he's like, well, we already have that exception. Oh, well, who's the arbiter of that exception? Who's to know the long-term damage? Again, like, we're not just talking about people, okay, you go into a store, a convenience store for 10 minutes to pick something up. The main problems are the people, the teachers, the students, in school, in businesses, wearing them for seven, eight, nine hours at a time. And again, the stupid thing about him is this. If you could breathe, by definition, according to anybody, it won't have efficacy. Because if you if it's a very breathable, wide cotton mask, yeah, you might not wind up having breathing problems. I do think there's there is research that needs to be done about the buildup of the shedding of the particles that get into your lungs. No one has studied, I mean, God didn't design our mouth and our nose to be that way. But yeah, I mean, presumably you're not going to get a hypoxia from those things. But that's the point. The things you will get hypoxia from, if you take an N95 and clamp it on you, oh, believe me, you'll feel yourself cut off. Now, maybe you could do that to run into a store, but but the people that are indoors for a long period of time, who are wearing it for a long period of time, and that's where the spread is going to be, and that's where you're going to need efficacy of masks if they worked, you're going to need them to wear that, and they don't wear them because they can't wear them because you can't breathe. But the broader point is political. How is it that eight months into this, the West Virginia governor in a state like that could still get away with that? I challenge you to show me how he's different from Cuomo. Why don't we have a DeSantis in West Virginia? We don't. We don't have it in almost any state. This is the problem we have. I mean, look, at a federal level too, Scott Atlas is out. Birch and, Fav- and, and Burks and Fauci are still in. I know everyone's going to say it was only a 120-day retainer and it was up, but believe me, if it was going great, it would have been renewed. I'm not saying, I don't know what happened, and I'm not going to speculate and say he was necessarily pushed out, but I what I will say is, if he wasn't pushed out and he on his own clearly felt that he was able to make a difference and wasn't meeting resistance, he would have stayed on, okay? But this is what we have everywhere. You look there. What do you have? You look to Georgia, Brian Kemp. Yesterday in Arizona, Doug Ducey. Doug Ducey, the Arizona governor. He certified the election. He had nine hours of testimony. But again, these are backbenchers in the state legislature. 
Every state, you have a couple of good backbenchers in the legislature. But the leadership in the legislature and the governors are all awful. And it's funny, people are finally on to Doug Ducey when it comes to Trump and elections, which is all our people seem to care about. And that's fine. I mean, they're important. And if that's going to get people to fight them all for it. But I mean, we've known that for years. He pushed in-state tuition for illegal aliens. When his state is beleaguered by the criminal alien problem more than anywhere, fiscal cost, Arizona has really gotten it on the chin. Big part of how the state has turned blue. And then the corona fascism. He's another one of those governors. What I'm telling you is what you're seeing with these governors with, you know, the certification and the election stuff, it's not in a vacuum. They're like that on every issue. They're Democrats in all but name only. This is how we're disenfranchised. It's not just a concern that our ballots, our votes aren't really mattering given the mail-ins and all the anomalies that are taking place. But even if you get the Republican to win, out pops Democrat votes. I don't mean at the ballot box, but I mean in the legislature or executive policies. What are we going to do with it? It just it, it it is so so sad. Where do we go? I don't know. But as I've said, we need to start an anchor. Perhaps it's in Florida. And then you have a beacon of light where that torch just shines so brightly. And it catches on it elsewhere. Got an email from a longtime listener, Joe. And he has an idea of creating a website for an American sanctuary and getting 10,000 people eligible to vote to move to that county and agree on certain basic principles, which will be spelled out on a website. And the point is willingness to sacrifice liberty or death. The will to force the event horizon. And here's what he notes. I'm just going to read from some of his email and you let me know what you think. So if you think of those three points, again, liberty or death, the will to force the event horizon and willingness to sacrifice. Moving is a willingness to sacrifice, right? You have to pick up and move your life. And therefore, something those serious about liberty would have little reservation about. There are some details and definitions, but simplicity sells. There are phases to the project, but the first is an interest in signing up. Then deciding on the location. Hopefully many people will be entrepreneurial and help work out the minutia of things, kind of like the free market always does. 10,000 is a voting block big enough to con- get control politically, which I think is true in a, in a smaller county. Um, first take over the local GOP, get the sheriff's office, county election supervisor, and at least half the commissioner's. From there, we basically institute policies or mostly allow entrepreneurial folks to take actions to go compete in the market where regulation would otherwise prohibit doing so. Any actors outside of the county at other governmental levels attempt to thwart the people. Worst case scenario, the sheriff comes out and just enforces our laws. Again, 
I mean, these are just ideas. I don't know the right answer. But my point is, it's not like we have a single place where we can point to that is sane. Oh, look at California. Well, look at Doug Ducey. Look at West Virginia. Look at what we're doing to our children. See, this is another thing people don't realize about the masks. Let's say you walk around in a horror suit all day. The psychological damage that, that it's like you're walking out, out in an OR. What does that do to a generation of children? That's not just a nothing. It's not like one or two guys in a limited time in a limited space where you're on public transit. You say you wear a mask. I'm not endorsing that. I'm not saying it works. It never works. I'm just saying like there's one thing if you limit it to that. But if you're going to tell me you do this everywhere, this is going to, to be a problem. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. But folks, I'll tell you this much. That psychological trauma is going to stay with us. Oh boy, is it going to stay with us. You know, you look at, um, let me just read to you another email. This is from Neil. I was sitting in a park in LA when I noticed the family walking around, mom, dad, two kids, maybe four years of age, all wearing masks, of course. But I noticed they were pushing around a baby stroller or what I thought was a baby stroller. Upon closer inspection, I saw it was a small wheelchair. In that wheelchair was a child, couldn't have been more than two to three years old. Appeared to have cerebral palsy or some similar functional disability. And as you guessed it, the child was also wearing a mask. And you know what the first thought that came to my mind was? We're not going to win this battle. And I'm not proud of saying that. In March, I would have had empathy and compassion for that family. But now I just thought... How could we ever convince those parents to return to normal? Now, look, I'd say this. I don't think it's quite as bad, Neil, as you're making it out to be. I I, I really do think those people in terms of parents are in the minority. In terms of the political class, that's the majority, of course. But I do think the people have woken up. I understand there's too many crazies, but it's like anything. I mean, you have 30% of the country that believes a man's a woman that believes criminals victim. I mean, you have all this stuff. That's nothing new. But we do have a silent majority on a lot of issues. The problem is even when we have a silent majority, we're disenfranchised and we have nothing to do with it. That's the broader issue. That's the broader challenge that I think we all have. Now, I'll try to read one more email here. But I just want to say, and I think this is very important, a couple miles away from me, Delaney High School in Baltimore County, there was a child who was a gifted and talented child. He just gave up. He was wasting away, and then he just committed suicide. Very sad story. I happen to know from my sources that there was nothing wrong with the kid. He was a gifted and talented kid 
committed suicide. There is so much more of this going on. It never gets traced back to these people. They never get held accountable. There's no dashboard for it. Again, we are trading these lives under the guise of saving lives where there is no evidence what we're doing is helping. There's no evidence you are prolonging anyone's life. But there is enormous evidence. Plain as day, we are killing more people. We are killing people. It's, it, it's a psychosis. So I want to read to you another email. Again, and I'm kind of jumping around a lot today, but it's, it's the same theme here if you look at this mental illness. This is from listener Jared. And, and, and again, a lot of you have great, have great stories. I apologize. I haven't been able to read all of them. And he said, um, my wife had trouble breathing Tuesday night, so I urged her to get tested for the Rona in case she needed treatment. She made an appointment at the Texas Med Clinic here Wednesday night. Long story short, she takes a rapid test. The test comes back negative. The doctor comes in and tells her to consider herself positive anyway and for the whole family to quarantine without ordering any further testing. So then he writes her a prescription for us to pick up at CVS. We go straight to CVS. The prescription is not available. We stay in the parking lot um, to pick up a prescription. And the store is closed on Thanksgiving, so we would have to fill it Friday. We call the office. They discover the doctor forgot to send the prescription. And basically, CVS doesn't get the full order until just before the close at 9 p.m., only for us to discover the doctor prescribed Sudafed. My wife is currently breastfeeding our eight-month-old, and we believe she may very well be pregnant again. This crackpot doctor decides to magically assign COVID to his nursing and potentially pregnant patient, then prescribes a medicine meant to treat the common cold, for God's sake. That's not to mention that Sudafed lowers milk supply for nursing mothers and is apparently dangerous to an unborn child. And to top it all off, the doctor tells my wife the whole family needs to quarantine. I mean, this is the obsession. Like, this is the, if it just saves one life. Again, what we are doing is using a, a nuclear bomb to kill an ant. Well, I'm erring on the side of caution. It just saves one life. COVID, COVID, COVID. It's literally like someone going down a highway and saying, look at that left guardrail. That looks pretty nasty. I don't want to crash into that. So I'm going to do everything I can to ensure I don't crash into the left guardrail. All the while ignoring that there's other considerations, namely other cars in your lane and other lanes to the right of you, as well as the right guardrail. So you don't have the luxury of just without any nuance and balance and precision, just like veering the wheel to the right constantly. But that's what we're doing as a society. Psychologically, other medical things we're seeing. I mean, I, I've had a, a PA friend of mine tells me this. They see it all the time with these junior PAs. They'll just like automatically assume everything is COVID and miss obvious things, waste resources, misdiagnose things. But you know what, folks? It's kind of like the mannequins. We're going to study uh, mass. You know, if, if they don't work on people, well, maybe they work on mannequins. So uh, that's one way to find efficacy. Truly, truly sick times. I want to read to you several stories just to get to the nub of this hospitalization issue because that's the core data issue here. 
Oh, look, the hospitals are full. Again, very subjective measure that doesn't need context. But my buddy, again, he goes by a pseudonym on Twitter, Elgato Malo, the bad cat. He put out a very interesting analysis of what's going on in the hospitals. So there's a CDC tool out that tracks the CARES Act funding, right? That was the big corona bill in, in March. It tracks how, how much each, each hospital has gotten. Now, as he notes, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to guess that those under the Cuomo regime would be the first and piggiest about getting snouts in the trough. Five of the top spots are in New York. And, um, you know, they have more money than anyone. New York City got 12% of the funding, even though it's 5.7% of the population. The only hospital outside of New York State to break $400 million in funding was HMH, and they are actually half in New York and half in Jersey. So they, they get some honorary rights as well. The average U.S. hospital received 251000 or 0.02% of New York City. And um, basically $98 billion has been allocated for via this program. Total of 391,000 hospitals. The top 10% have taken 92 billion of that, which is 94%. The top 1% took 72%. The top 0.1%, the top point, so that's one out of um, 1,000 got 36% of the 92 billion in funds. And his point is this. You might wonder, why would hospitals seek to overstate COVID? Well, keep in mind, this is why. You got to be stupid not to juice up your numbers. That that's his broader point. There has never been seen such a grab bag of goodies for hospitals to get. That right? It's almost like they have no choice but to do this. So this is very important as we noted. That when you look at the hospitalization data and this is very important because remember, it's not like the hospitals are going around and grabbing people from their homes and bringing them to the hospital. They, of course, don't have the power to do that. They're not doing on purpose. People do come. It's mixed with another phenomenon that we panic the people. I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree with my premise here that there's a lot of comparisons to this in the 2018 flu season. Nobody knew what was going on. So what you don't know can't hurt you. So you wouldn't go to the hospital unless you're a clinical level illness. If you just feel miserable, you're like, all right, you know, I might have to take off of work. I'm going to have to be in bed. I don't know how long it's going to last. It's kind of bad. But you never think you're going to die unless you're someone that you're on chemo and you get monitored if you have the flu. But, but for most people, you're not, you're not going to go to the hospital unless you really feel like you need to go. Again, outside of the certain cohort of people that always seem to use the ERs as kind of their primary physician, you know, there's a certain baseline all year round that's like that, and certainly during the flu season. But in the general population, you're not going to have that. So by definition, if you're going, at least in your mind, in the mind of the patient, you feel you need to be there. Here we all know there's a bunch of people that are going that, and, and, and again, I can't blame them. 
they test positive, they do have symptoms, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm terrified, I gotta go. Typically, when doctors were motivated by science, they'd turn you away and like, all right, whatever, go home. But now you know, it's not like the guy doesn't have COVID. He has COVID. Well, if I treat him, if I admit him, that's more money. Anyone who can't see that is blind. But even with that, you look at the data and it just doesn't smell right. It just doesn't smell right. Basically, San Francisco, they say they're finally getting hit. They barely got hit until now. So typically, the available inpatient capacity stays between 20 and 30%. Right? That's typically where it stays there. Because remember, they're 70 to 80% full. And they always are because you can't run a business model where you have 80% capacity free. Last week, as COVID, you know, climbed sharply, the free hospital capacity actually grew to 38%. Okay? Now, some of that might be they're surging it. But again, there, there is no evidence that it's anywhere outside what we see in a normal flu season, or at least certainly the 2018 flu season. This is not the run on hospitals of a millennium. And they found that in the UK too. New analysis is in the daily UK Daily Mail. Only four hospitals in the entire UK are busier now than they were last winter. And mind you, last winter was a light flu season. Okay? Basically, they quote this Dr. Carol Sikora, consultant oncologist, professor of medicine at University of Buckingham. He basically said Downing Street, that's Boris Johnson, was running a brainwashing PR campaign with data that doesn't stack up. He told the UK uh, Mail, we've gone back to how it started in March with the government claiming we need the measures to protect the NHS. The data you've shown me proves that it doesn't need protecting. It's dealing with COVID very well indeed. What the data shows is that hospitals are not working at full capacity and they've still got some spare beds for COVID if necessary. The public is being misled. The data doesn't stack up. Fear and scaremongering is being used to keep people out of the hospital. And this Dr. Kalasakura, he I think he served in governmental positions. I mean, he's a, he's a very respected doctor there. And again, I mean, you're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to debate this. You get censored for even saying it. And like, this is the thing. If we're going to let out criminals... Under the guise of COVID, could could we like at least get the data right? Like, is it really spreading worse in the in the prisons and killing more people? Like, you know, it, if we're going to do it under the guise of the hospitals, could could we actually get accurate data on that? Again, liberty is not subject to data, but if that's where we're holding, then. Aren't we entitled to a little bit of due process? Well, I guess not. I guess not. I just want to end, and again, I'm sorry again for leaving a lot of my stories on the table. 
you, you'll follow me on Twitter to get some of this. But guess what? It turns out that the entire question of the prison COVID deaths was a lie. My buddy Sean Kennedy, he wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal a while back showing that there is no greater threat to prisoners than other people. Everyone went crazy. Wall Street Journal independently confirmed those findings. They just published last week. Um, where is this? Despite that, the case fatality ratio or the percentage of coronavirus cases that are fatal is lower among inmates than the broader population. A total of 1,491 inmates have died since the start of the pandemic, which puts the case fatality rate at about 0.7%. That figure is at 2.1% for the U.S. as a whole. So it's significantly less. In fact, there has been no wave of mass deaths among prisoners. By mid-July, there were approximately 700 recorded deaths due to coronavirus among the 2.2 million prison and jail inmates in the U.S. That's a mortality rate of roughly 32 deaths per 100,000 prisoners in the nation as a whole. There were approximately 140,000 COVID fatalities by mid-July. That's 42 per 100,000. So there we are. We are being lied to. Do not trust anything from the political class. We are in an information war of our lifetime. That's why you need to stay here with your Blaze TV subscription. Follow us so long as we're on Twitter, at Arm Conservative, at Parler. I'm going to try to post more there. DEH0414, that's just the handle I could find. I guess my name is very uh, popular. But folks, you need to stay armed with your We The People holster. Again, wethepeopleholsters.com forward slash CR. Get your $10 off there till tomorrow. God bless you all. And thank you for listening.